Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. What's up, everybody? This is the Helping Friendly Podcast. We are back. We are all here, all four of us, the people who do the hosting of this podcast. Matt, Jonathan, Brad... What's up, guys? Yo, yo. Hey. I'm sorry. This is the fish one? <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 no, the, the other one's on the other. It's the next room down. Makes log off sound. Yeah. <laughs> if we had like a if we had a musical group, it would be some kind of play on like three, the three bearded guys and the nerd. You know, you guys are all looking so beautifully bearded over there. Um, yeah, we're, we're also all nerds. True. So. Good point. All right. So... We have a lot to talk about because we're going to we're going to talk about a tour that I think we feel is a bit overlooked and we're going to talk about whether that's justified or not. <laughs> we're going to make you wait until the very end to, to tell you whether it's justified or not. Um, what's what's going on in the in the fish world, 
Matt, what what is happening? Is there anything happening? Oh, well, Mike Gordon and Leo Kotke just released a lovely new album entitled Noon, which you should all be checking out. Yeah, it's really good. It's really as, good. As I think one should expect from those two. Yeah, this has been a long time coming. I'm, I was super stoked for it. I don't know about you guys, but I love me some Mike and Leo. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And Jonathan, I, a, I figured you'd be all over that. Yeah, I had a good listen to it yesterday, and uh, I'm excited to get the LP record version of it in due course. And yeah, it's 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 good. That's awesome. What and there next week? This is the first time when we record, and we will not know the like. Usually, when we record, we say like the dinner and a movie will be over by the time you hear this. But this time, because it's next weekend, um, we can say that upcoming this weekend is the Dick's Marathon. Yeah, it's virtual, virtual yeah. dick fest. <laughs> what? <laughs> Long you online. See some Matt, dicks. I know you've gone to a lot of dicks shows. Were you at all three of the ones that will be broadcast? Oh, uh, I don't know. I have no idea. Like no, 19, I, 15 and I, 12. Maybe? I know. I know that one of them was from 2017 and I definitely was not at that one. Okay. And I know that I was not, I think one of them is the Harpua thank you show. Uh, I want to say, and I was not at that. And I was not there in 2012, so I was not at any of these days. Oh, shows. no shit. Okay, yeah. 12, 15, picked, 17. You were not at any of them. They picked all years when I wasn't there. Amazing. Brad, were it, you at one of those at least? Yeah, I was at two of them. 15 them. and 17. Okay. 15 and 17. Okay. Well, I, I got to ask Matt, um, having been to a bunch of these and then they picked three that you weren't at, is that cool or not cool? I don't, I don't really know how that weighs out. No, I mean, doesn't I don't think there's any sort of prize for having been at a show that they. Oh, I don't mean prize. <laughs> I mean, like, are you are you more excited to sit and watch shows that you weren't at, or would you be more excited if they were shows that you were at? I'm more excited to watch shows that I have either never heard or have never seen video of. Okay, I've seen. I, I if I was not at these shows, I watched them on the webcast before. Um, right. So uh, I'll watch them. It's going to be nice. I mean, I, we probably would have been at Dick's this year, so it's going to be a nice distraction from the fact that we're not out there. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like I was looking forward to more to like, for example, last week's with the Elements show that had never been shown before, you know, some of the, yeah. the 1.0 stuff that they've aired. It's cool. kind of cool to have a three night run. I mean, it, it'll be a little bit like, you know, when you, when you're having your Labor Day weekend and you're not at Dick's and you get to watch three shows in a row. It's, I think it'll be a little bit different in terms of the, the audience experience, which is cool. I'm glad they're mixing it up. Yeah. I'm glad they're, they're not they playing different years. They're not airing them at, at mountain time. Are they? So I can get to bed at a reasonable hour. I hope they are. I think that's I the other that, that's the other once. benefit. There was the the thank you show is actually pretty funny because um, I'll always stay up for these. But that night we had a bunch of people over, and most people left during the second set because it was super late on the East Coast. And my friends Mark and Christina stayed till the end. And I remember like they were like, "Okay, we're gonna like start to pack our stuff up. You know, it's gonna be a tweet prize encore, and we're about to leave." And they were here. I think it was until like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. Um, <laughs> they just they stayed, wow. and then they drove home afterwards. Words. It was just like one of those crazy things, but yeah, watching that not nice. in the middle of the night will be nice. Yeah, there there must be more of these coming. Like maybe maybe a New Year's run thing. You know, assuming there's no concerts, uh, there, there's more you can do with this, which is kind of cool. Um, it's crazy. So we'll see. I think we can assume there won't be New Year's concerts. Honestly, let's yes. let's put it on the table. Lock in finally, finally rescheduled. That was announced today, the day we're recording. That they're they're pushing back to October 2021. Yeah. Um, so 
Yeah, Although, I don't think they'll be doing a drive-in New Year's run. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah. probably off the table. Yeah. Although, I, I, and, and, I, go ahead, Brad. I was just going to say that I, I um, the it, it's exciting though to to for these Dick shows as well because I hung on to this year's. I had you know three day passes for this year's, and they'll be honored next year. So it's also kind of an exciting build up to that. It gives you something to look forward to. So even though yeah. it's it's going to be 12 months away this, you know, next weekend or whatever. Yeah. Well, we're looking forward to seeing some, some amazing, uh, some amazing music in person sometime. I think Humphreys is doing some drive-in shows in Colorado, right? Next weekend. Uh, not in Colorado in uh, Chicago. Oh, in Chicago. Okay. Yeah. So they're doing a couple nights of drive-in shows, which is cool. I mean, more bands are doing that. I was just thinking, and t- I talked about that on the drop, how there's like, there's not as many streams happening. You know, I think the bands are like trying to put a little bit more effort into planning something like that. Um, are you guys, Matt, I know you've seen a little socially distanced music. Are I you have. see more? Have you done a drive-in thing? It wasn't a drive-in thing. It was um, uh, this brewery near us in uh, Loudoun County um, uh, called B Chord Brewing. Shout out to the folks out of B Chord. They're uh, big music fans, fish fans, whatnot. Um, they have they have music there normally. The the brewery was founded by music fans. Um, so they when they built out their kind of um, uh, tasting room and whatnot, they built a stage in there and, and they, they have shows on the reg. Um, they built a stage out side of their building they own a huge piece of land in the in the mountains the foothills of the appalachian mountains out in loudon county so they have put on some shows i've been to two of them we're planning on going to a couple more mid-september uh sam bush and a couple other things that are going on and um it's cool because they've had they have so much space that everybody really can spread out um they have some picnic tables that you can reserve and then it's like okay when you leave your group put your mask on you walk around you get your beers and whatnot um and it, it's been good it does depend on everybody behaving um which luckily you know people have been when i've been out there a couple of times um it's not to the the level of like the um venue that got set up in i think it's manchester um that's like a now like a permanent socially distanced venue where everybody has like their own platform to stand on and stuff yeah like that. that was awesome yeah um, which seems really cool i would i would totally be down for something like that even outside of covid times um so that I <laughs> anytime people I out of my it. personal yeah. space but um <laughs> yeah. uh but no this has been really cool and, and it's a lot of, you can tell it's a lot of like very progressive people going out wanting to see music and being respectful and even very very you know dear friends of ours that we haven't seen in months that we run into when we're in close proximity we have our masks on and stuff so um it that that has worked um but i could also you know um see obviously there's been the cases like the chain smokers and stuff like that where you just have idiots that are not going to follow the rules and put everybody in jeopardy i think i think tonight while we're recording the avid brothers are doing a drive-in show in charlotte i mean they're they're like they're happening more frequently and they're they're big productions i mean i think there's probably they're probably pretty hard to pull off um but i i hope we see more bands doing them i'd like to go to one Uh, it's kind of interesting like though it's a throwback you know I think I went to a drive-in once when I was like four. Yeah, I did it a handful of times when I was a kid. But there's other like non-like drive-in movie theater things. Like they they've been doing a lot of stuff in Philly, right? Um, Live Nation is doing stuff at the Phillies Stadium. Uh, yeah, Lotus and Dark Star Orchestra and some other stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully we'll be able to see more soon. Um, I, I so I just want to say that we're recording at night, and and the only reason I'm awake right now is because I drank some Grady's cold brew out of the bag because it's very strong. And I've actually thought today while I was pouring it, I was like, I guess I could just add more water and it would be less strong. But what fun is that? But 
Um, they are a sponsor and it's delicious. And I think all of us really like it, but I'll just say that, um, I've been enjoying it quite a bit. And when I run out, I'm going to buy more. Um, anyone else been enjoying it? I had a significant cup this afternoon as well. And, uh, (laughs) it's great. It's great. It's really good stuff. And my wife enjoys it too. So, and you can, you know, you could just add water in your cup too. You don't have to just drink it as straight concentrate you can my wife blends it with milk over ice and she really enjoys it that way it's great that's a good point jonathan thank you for reminding me that i could just add water to it (laughs) 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 Um, all right so they are they're a sponsor and we like them and um so just go to gradyscoldbrew.com and enter the promo code hfp20 to get 20 percent off your first order this cold brew kit which is what we all got um it's delicious and easy to make cold brew and uh and i'm excited about it so thank you gradys um guys should we talk about this tour that we're talking about summer 2010 i feel like the energy is is in this in our virtual call is is palpable to talk about this tour there's a lot of anticipation it's a lot of in- <laughs> or maybe that's just the uh, the cold brew percolating through my veins <laughs> We, we decided to go back to summer tour 2010. We're all, I mean, we'd take any summer tour right now, um, but we, we went back and, and we did some um, listening back and we, all, we each chose a jam from a show from summer 2010. It's sort of an interesting summer. We'll talk about some of the themes and why we think it might be interesting. Um, I guess I'll just say quickly, it was 29 shows from June in Chicago to August 18th in Jones Beach, but there were sort of like two legs. They took a month off. And I think as I went through this, I was realizing that they actually took uh, a month off right when they were starting to like get it moving, you know? It was like those couple shows before the break were like pretty sweet. And it's like, all right, let's take a month off. And I wonder as a band if that's like, you know, they're looking forward to taking a, a break or if at that point they were like, shit, we were like loving loving this right now i don't know if you guys thought that as you were going back but i think you're right they were kind of heating up before they stopped but i also think that um you know they didn't know you know they booked this and probably thought that that would be a a cool way to go and play the places they wanted to play and not be too hard but i think they were still figuring it out it was only the second summer back yeah there were there were a lot of uh, multi-night runs which tend to lead to like better shows right and and sometimes it's the first night of sometimes it's the second night but it's just it's easier for them to get you know comfortable i think the the one three night run which was toward the end of the tour at the greek is is the most well known couple you know few shows of this run or of this tour completely but i saw hartford and great woods um that tour because i was living in boston jonathan did you see any shows that summer yeah i saw um portsmouth and uh, Camden and one of the Merryweather shows. Okay. And Brad, did you see any? Yeah, the the second half um I went to the Greek uh, in Berkeley. Sweet. Um, well, we're going to Yeah, we were out here. I had a baby. Um but I, I got away for the weekend, so that was awesome. <laughs> nice. That's yeah. awesome. And Matt, you saw Merryweather and and maybe some others? I saw uh Hershey uh, both nights of Camden, the second night of Merriweather, and Telluride. Ooh, Telluride, so, nice pick. Yes. Telluride, yeah. 
So what do you guys like going back? Do you guys have memories of this tour? I had, I had a couple of distinct memories. I mean, I had a lot of fun at the shows that I went to and I had, they were kind of like, it was a very interesting time in my life. We've, I've been thinking back on 10 years ago stuff a lot. Um, that summer, my wife and I had just gotten engaged and we bought our house. We moved into our house, like, you know, as the tour was starting. So there's a lot of kind of nostalgia about that, um, going on right now. And then, um, my friend Doug got married in the middle of the Camden and Merriweather run, which is why I missed the first night of Merriweather. So like there's that attached to it. And then Telluride, which the shows were complete um, duds, but that trip was amazing. Uh, you know, obviously if you've ever been to Telluride, you know that even seeing dud fish shows, it's a, it's a pretty amazing time uh, when you're in Telluride. So um, lots of really good memories. Um, and I think I, I, I probably was a little bit harsher on the tour uh, in my mind, you know, looking back than I should have been when I listened to some of the stuff. I still don't think it's the best tour, but um, there was a lot more highlights than, than I remembered. Yeah, you know, I, I feel kind of the same way. Definitely looking back at it, I was like, oh, well, this is good. This is good. There was, I mean, I didn't even remember that I went to the first night of Camden, but when I looked at it, I was like, wait a second. I, w- I definitely was here. And then I checked, actually, I checked the attendance page on Fishnet and I was like, oh, there's my name. So um, I definitely went to that and I remember who I went with. And, and I think that was a big part of the shows in 2010 for me was getting together again with some of the the touring crew that we were just kind of reestablishing. And in 2009, you know, went to shows with a bunch of people that, you know, none of us had been to fish shows in a long time. And so we were kind of reestablishing our crew and uh, that was great. And I think also it, it it became very clear going back and looking at this uh, and again, and looking at some of the notes and some of the things that I wrote about these shows at the time that you can't judge these just by looking at the set lists uh, because <laughs> some of the ones that have really hot looking set lists aren't that great. Uh, and some of the ones <laughs> so that have true. really bland set lists are actually pretty good. Yeah. Um, as you'll see from like some of the, maybe for some of the highlights we pick and some of the other things we'll single out. <laughs> I just want to say that I, because we, we were planning on doing this episode a few weeks ago and then we, you guys did that awesome interview um, that was our last episode. So we pushed this off. So I've spent like the better part of a month, like whenever I'm listening to fish, listening to summer 2010 and I would like get to like the 17th show and see like, you know, ghost into Piper and to rock and roll and to drown and to you enjoy myself. And then yeah. I listen to it and was like, Ooh, that's, yeah. not, what, that's not what that said. <laughs> this sounds different from what I read. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a fallout, maybe like a transition between Oh nine when they were just getting their feet under them or their, you know, sea legs back. And then, you know, come 11 and, and 13 really when I think was the first super hot tour. Um, so, you know, it's a transition. I also, one of the things that sticks out to me is they were still playing in their old setup where it was, uh, you know, fish on stage, right. And then Mike and then Trey and then, and then Paige. um, where in fish's kit, I watched a video today. Um, I think it was from the blossom show. Fish's kit is enormous. It's really crazy. Um, and seeing them all 10 years younger too was pretty pretty cool too but i don't remember fish's kit being so big but i do remember him paring it down i don't have the timeline or the dates there but um looking back that really stuck out uh, in in um 
I guess we'll talk about the the whammy too. But we'll, I'm getting ahead of myself there. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I, I'd like to sit, make another note on set lists, and there are a lot of things like thirteen song first sets and going around in this tour, uh, for better or worse. Uh, some of them, again, they're surprisingly good despite being very uh, what we call songy. Um, mm. they, good songs are good songs, right? They do call it songy. I think there, there's two. One thing that's really interesting to me is that there's no new songs. I think the entire tour. There's originals. some uh, sure, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of covers. Oh, yeah. Um like well, at least a handful and then uh yeah, but then a few good bust outs at a couple of these shows. Yeah. Was the only was the only new song Summer of 89? Uh, Dr. Gable. Yeah, I think yeah, okay. There was there were new songs, but there wasn't new jamming material, I guess. Like 09 you know, they come back and they have number line that got jammed out several times in summer of 09 and a few others that came out. Light, light, light for example. Light is, is an important one <laughs> that, that happened for to example. be a good jam, jam vehicle. <laughs> um, but 2010, you get like this, I don't know, it's just interesting. And and then there's the, you know, the whole odd year theory, which, which really makes no sense, but seems to somehow line up, um, which, you know, anyway, the whale call can we can we talk about this because if you if you go back now and listen to any song from any show from this tour that's like the main thing that i hear and matt can you will you explain to us what that means the whale call so um this is something that trey was doing where he had his whammy pedal set to the two half step down setting which means that um so let me let me reset there for a second like a whammy pedal in case you don't know what it does it's like a rocking pedal if you've ever seen like a wah pedal that you kind of like rock back and forth with your foot it's like that but in the heel position when your heel is down it's not doing anything and then as you push it it does it changes the pitch and there's a number of different things that it can do one of the things uh that is a little bit probably more like uh pleasant or acceptable to a lot of people in their fish minds is think about the loops from like 97 98 that's trey doing that with the whammy pedal right he's like starting either with the he's probably with the, the toe down and he's pitching it up and then he like rocks it back to his heel and he makes it come back down to the original pitch um there's all different things that you can do with that one of the things that one of the settings is like he can have it pitched down two half steps, which is like one do re mi. It's like one step between do re mi fa sol la ti do, and um, it's almost like if you had somebody with like a whammy bar on their guitar that you've probably seen on like Fender Stratocasters, how they can like hit the whammy bar and bend down. He's doing that with his foot because, of course, he doesn't have a whammy bar on his Languedoc guitars. And he, he should, though. He did. He, he had, like, so he, what he would do at this point, like, he, it seemed like he just always had the whammy pedal on in this setting and his foot was always on it. And so, like, the way that people would use vibrato or like a whammy bar on their guitar just to constantly, like, attenuate the note his he was just constantly rocking his foot right and like bending the notes down which is inter an interesting thing to do i don't know that i've ever seen any other guitarist do that with a whammy pedal or any other device um but the problem at the time was he was doing it a lot and some people 
basically kind of accused him of using it as like a crutch. Like he didn't, his playing wasn't as like fiery and inspirational as it had been in the past. And so he was using this new tool supposedly in people's minds as like a go-to kind of trick to kind of like make the sound interesting. I think the other part of it beyond overuse or like whether or not you want to say it was a crutch or not is when you're bending like this, you have all of these kind of like semitones in between, right? You're not just playing note, note, note. And so I think it was a little bit unpleasant to people's ears because he was playing and landing on all these semitones between the notes in the scales or in the, in the key that they were playing, which in some t- forms of music is really cool and in like something that like is celebrated. A really good example of that is if you listened to the King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard record where they uh, flying microtonal uh, banana, um, they actually tuned their instruments to these like microtonal scales, which are not western scales so the the pitches that they're playing are all pitches that don't sound comfortable to our western trained ears which like actually makes it sound really cool i i feel like when trey was bending using this whammy pedal he was getting all of these sweeping microtones (laughs) in the middle and it kind of made people think it sounded like broken or something like that one way or another people didn't like the whammy it eventually went away the only thing that i will say is like it or not and I will not usually get this sort of like pointed about something like this, but if you were the guy who held up the no whammy sign at the Greek, you're an asshole. Yeah. Don't do that. That's just rude. And <laughs> hopefully, yeah. I mean, that guy got what he wanted, but don't do that. You don't tell a, a musician how they should or should not be playing their instrument. That's just, that's out of line. But yeah, anyway. I would I would yeah. say that I feel like the latter half it was in Brad. the, in, in the <laughs> it was Brad in the uh, the second leg uh, the whammy use was more moderated I, I think there's a, a balance between more moderated and more precise I think the um, there's just a great potential for imprecision and a lot of people have high expectations of Trey's playing being very precise and so it it really deviates greatly from that expectation. And how often have I said on this podcast that expectations will get you fucked when you're listening to fish? <laughs> um, a lot, right? Me, in, in my mind, I think there's an argument to be made that he is using it as a crutch. I think 2009, although I oft, often forget how many shows they played, because I think they're all overlooked, um, he, he was hoping to get back to maybe... Um, I don't know, 10 years previously in playing and maybe he couldn't get there. This is all speculation, obviously, but, um, and and so he found a new trick here in 2010. Um, and maybe he was using it at least in the first half, like you said, but I want to point out too, in the second half of the summer, um, you know, in August is when he debuted the Asadok and, um, uh, and that's kind of when that, the, the, the whale call kind of subsided a little bit. So, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe it is a crutch. It it just kind of all fell together there for a second. Yeah, we definitely like constantly is tweaking his rig, right? So in between the, those legs, and he's still he doing it. Got the yeah. feedback, or or maybe whatever figured it out. I mean, there are times when it works fine or is like part of the sound, but like this, the July third mountains in the mist is a really interesting example because, like I said, I listen to a lot of these shows, and it's like that's like not a song where you need 
a lot of effects <laughs> on your guitar. Like right. the solo is like beautiful, gentle, and it's just like this like it, it's it it's it's a little bit jarring. But um, anyway, there's a lot of really good stuff, and there's so many amazing jams from this tour, like Matt said, that I think um, and we've all listened to. Right? Like we should should we get into them? Should we tell people about them? It, let's yeah, let's talk about specific musics as opposed to the weird sounds that we arguably don't love. Um, <laughs> well, I think one of the things that um, I, and and to just to, to to kind of come back to that for for a second, I I would not dispute that it was overused. Um, and I think I actually hear a lot of other things in Trey's playing that were overused. There's a lot of licks that he did over and over and over again. How many times does he do that in every single jam? Um, and I, I really do think he was trying to get his sea legs under him still, and the whole as the whole band was. Um, and, you know, it took them a couple years, and, and Trey's even acknowledged that, that it really took until probably 2012 for them to really start to, to cook again as a unit. Um, so some of the jams are a little bit boring. They're a little bit you know, the listless, they don't, they don't, they don't really go anywhere. Um, we do at certain points start to hear this like prototype of the Plinko sound, um, ha- pop up a bunch of times. Um, I heard that like in the, the Camden 625 light. um, there's a couple other jams where it, it's not as effective as it would be, um, later on, but, um, it does start to, to pop up a little bit and there's some, some good jams. I know, um, uh, Jonathan, you in particular picked out like that backwards down the num- number line jam we're going to talk about. There's some really cool stuff there. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. what, did, what did you guys hear in terms of like the actual jamming sound? You know, I, I think I made some notes further down here about some of these and just kind of, I feel like they, when the whale was working, for example, it led to a lot of soaring kind of lead, but not lead. Trey was playing a lot more texture and uh kind of layering with with that he wasn't doing yeah I, I there was a there was a good split between things like that and then just some that were just all all outraging rock jams which uh both of which i quite like um so there's there's the kind of ping ping pong back and forth between those kinds of positions i felt yeah i, I like that jonathan i think one of the things i would point out is is I, th- I think you can you could take that concept that you mentioned and put it into single jams too, where um, oh, yeah. they'll they'll be getting funky and, and, and pretty groovy, uh, and then um, they can they can turn course and, and get spacey um, along with that in the same jam. And I, I noticed that through through some of these, even that I think the um, again back back to that backwards down the number line that Jonathan picked. That within that jam itself, I think that's that's pretty specific. So song wise, you guys mentioned there were some there were some covers. There were there was a lot of stuff that was either like one time bust out cover. Um, what um what were how did that like affect the music in in your opinion? Anyone? I don't know about the music, but I think it affected. Uh, rem- this is one of the things I really forgot about until I started looking through set lists and, and listening to some of the shows. Was it affected the level of excitement that everybody had about the tour? Mm-hmm. Because pretty much every show had some sort of like debut 
cover one timer, huge bust out. Um, I mean, the ultimate ones, well, really the two ultimate ones being alumni blues and fuck your face. Um, that, you know, even if the shows were kind of like, so, so, um, they, people would be like, yeah, but they played alumni blues. Like, whoa, like, you know, there was, there was some, it's almost kind of like the 98 tour, like the jukebox tour, how it's like every single show has this like jaw on the the floor. Whoa, I can't believe they're playing that moment. Um, which was definitely good at the time and, and makes for some, um, some fun listening. Uh, though a lot of the covers just kind of never came back after that. Yeah, I will say, uh, like when they played, was it Blossom, where they played Lookout Cleveland to open? Mm, yeah. um, I, I love that call. It's not their best one-off cover as far as performance, but it's such a cool song. And just to, to come flying out of the gate with that, I think that was that was pretty awesome. Uh, and Instant Karma in that same show, which <laughs> seems a little more random, but also like, uh, was it Camden? They did uh, Free Man in Paris, a Joni Mitchell song. You know, they're just... Uh, they're pulling them out. They were just digging. Like, what What did you listen to last month, Mike? Oh, I listened to this. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know. Cold Water uh, at um, at Portsmouth, which is, you know, it's Tom Waits' song, but I got to say it sounded more like the way Railroad Earth does it, mm. um, mm. but uh, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. but that that said, at the same time that the and you kind of mentioned this with the long first sets before Jonathan, the flow yeah. of these shows is really weird, and I think that's one, that's one of the things that they had to work on for the first four or five years that they were back, and I think they do a way better job with now. Is um, even when the jams aren't completely happening, they're way better at kind of controlling the flow of a show. Um, I know we want to talk about the second night of Camden a little bit because that was a show that we all liked, but. When I really re-listened to that the other day. I remember the highlights, but as I listened to it, I was like, God, I wish I could like resequence this show because <laughs> it's <laughs> there's just like a lot of jarring decisions in the uh, the song order. Yeah, for sure. And so, Matt, you saw the Sh- Hershey's show, right? I did. Yeah, which I think was the third the third show in. So these, I feel like the first, I don't know, ten or so shows on this tour, which I, I saw three of, were just like. It, it felt, um, at the time it was still celebratory. Like Jonathan said, it was like going back. I remember at Great Woods, we like went with people that we hadn't gone to a show with since, you know, 1997 or whatever, you know, it was like, you were still re rekindling that and reliving that. And I had an amazing time at all the shows I saw, but now like going back, I'm like, Ooh, this is like, this is a little bit, this is tough. I, is that Hershey show? Like when you went back, did you go back to this show? Does it was it different from when you were there? I'm just wondering if everyone's perspectives now are are diff- that much different than when you were there. Yeah, it didn't have quite the the 2009 level of like, oh my god, we're we're seeing them again. I want to drink in every moment. But you know, once again, that was a fun time. We did a, like a road trip up with a bunch of friends and um you know it was a sunday night and they played tweezer and it was a beautiful night out and i've got i was just looking back i've got lots of great pictures of all of our friends hanging out that night and so you know it was a great time and i think that summer i was listening to that show a lot but i probably haven't listened to that show since 2012 um so you know i mean it's just and i think that's part of the one of the differences between like 
2009 and then 2010 and 2011, like, I don't know that they were necessarily playing any better or any worse than they had been, but a little bit of the excitement of the newness of them being back was going away and they had to kind of reestablish things and kind of prove themselves. And it just took them a while to do that. Um, which is why I think like, if we were to talk about 2011, it actually probably gets way lower marks among most people than 2010. Um, because they were kind of deeper into the hole of like coming back and really needing to like establish themselves. Hmm. Don't get like, me started on 2011. I like the idea though, <laughs> that you listen to this. I, I, I totally agree with you that you've, you listened to this until like 2012, uh, the Hershey show. Um, and I feel the same way I used to with live fish and, um, the access to the shows. I listen to these shows all the time. Um, but I don't go back to them. Whereas I still go back to 13, I still go back to 15, right? Yeah. So um, at that time, and maybe the two years following, they were there and I'd listen to them. Um, I still like to go back to these 2010 ocelots, by the way, because I think they're like the best. (laughs) But um, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) but um, but, yeah, I don't we don't go back to these shows anymore. We've got 13, we've got 15, we've got newer stuff. um, So and then also Live Fish gives us deep stuff 1.0 stuff so yeah well yeah i i just want to echo what what matt was saying a little bit so i'll keep it short but uh the, we had a similar thing with portsmouth which is the very next show after hershey right and i we had a, a condo like not next door so next door to that really nice little amphitheater in portsmouth is a police station and the other side of that police station we had a condo and uh, it was it was great except for walking past the police station and i had a good crew there and we had a we brought our fun for sure so even if fish would played complete garbage which they didn't uh we we would have had a good time there was no question um and our good time definitely overrode our uh like rational sense about how good the show was at first and so i know i looked back at old message board posts of mine from of that show uh not from the show but about that show and it it, and yeah i was yeah this is great and it wasn't great it was fine yeah i know now and i knew later i actually followed in that thread all the way to the end at the end of the thread there was a post from like november and i was like yeah this is cool (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, so they, it's interesting because they, so they start out in Chicago, Blossom, Hershey, the Hershey, You Enjoy Myself, which ends that um, second set is really good. There, there's there's stuff to listen to in there for sure. Um, and maybe we should share some kind of 2010 summer playlist from all the shows that, that we collectively listen to. That seems like a nice thing to do for our listeners because we're not going to, we're not going to touch on all these things that we thought were good. Um, so we will do that. And by that, I mean, I will do that which I'm kind of regretting Wait. saying. But um, <laughs> so Portsmouth was right after Hershey. As, as Jonathan said, there's a great bathtub gin from that show. There's like each of these shows, especially if you're running through them, you'll see one or two things that are like really, really solid. And I think those increased as the tour wore on. Yeah, they, they even uh, they called an audible for a sign at her, at Portsmouth. And by the way, there are too many signs that summer. Thank God the signs are gone. Um, but uh, yeah, they walked out and saw a tube sign or whatever, and they opened with tube kind of, you could see the conference and they laid that down and it was good and but that the energy from that moment carried all of us through a good bit of the rest of the first set but do do you guys agree that this tour kind of picks up like at camden 625 like the second night of camden that's where i felt like it was like oh shit this is getting this is getting well that yeah so 624 
that's the show I was talking about that I didn't remember I was at. And uh, I went back and listened to some of it. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, they played the Rover and there's some cool stuff. Um, I think it was uh, during Fluffhead, the show really kind of changed gears. Trey really like, I don't know, something clicked. And then and then it all paid off the next night. So rather than uh, kind of going show by show through highlights of the whole tour, one of the things that we wanted to do here after we talked about some of those overall uh, musical themes and things that we trends and whatnot that we saw throughout the tour, we each kind of brought a jam that we wanted to talk about uh, that was a highlight for us uh, from the summer. But before we get into the individual picks, um, one show that we should probably talk about is kind of a group consensus highlight show uh, is the second night of Camden, June 25th. Um, we all in kind of the process of picking our highlights kind of circled around maybe picking something from this show. So we figured maybe we should just give it a couple minutes to talk through it. Um, I know I, as I said, I was there, uh, Jonathan, you were there, RJ, you were not there, No, but you probably listened to this show a lot back in the day, right? Yeah, of course. Yeah. It was awesome. I mean, I think this is when the tour really got going. Um, and that's, you know, it's interesting how quickly they, as they got more comfortable in 3.0, like sometimes by the time you get to summer 2013, I think like the first show was okay. And by the second show, it was awesome. You know, like this, mm. this tour kind of took them a few shows, but, um, there's a lot of highlights in this starting with the first alumni blues since 99. And Jonathan, I think particularly liked the, the song after the alumni blues letter to Jimmy page alumni blues. Yeah, Big Black Fairy Creatures, come on, man. Uh, I, I love it. I also liked watching all of the noobs like pull their hair out and try to understand what was going on because it, it was it was a weird start for a show in 2010, in my opinion. Uh, and I love that. You know, I love weird. So, um, yeah, they, it was just give me more of that always. Uh, in fact, I would say the whole first set is – is pretty killer. Uh, it does dip for about 13 minutes for this one song, but, uh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> can, okay. Well, okay. There's a couple of things we can talk about here and I don't know if we want to save this for later, but yeah, first of all, there, there's a summer of 89 thing in, in 2010, which is the only, it's only been performed four times by fish. Um, there's some good tray acoustic versions, but only four times performed by fish all summer 2010 this is one of them but you know there was a whole thing and, and this may be back when i was slightly more active on fantasy tour but you know you could get tte'd at a show you know and it the song was only played 17 times time turns elastic but if you got tte'd you were you were in for a long um you know composition that i think in orchestral arrangements and and other arrangements is really beautiful and i just some people now compare Time Turns Elastic to Petrichor, and I just I think it's completely unfair to Petrichor. But um, did you guys mind getting TTE back back in the day? It wasn't on my list of hopes. Um, I saw 
I only saw three of them, so I I I, I won't complain. I mean, maybe I sl- slightly did a minute ago, um, but you know, I don't know. It it could could have been something else, I guess. <laughs> I, I saw five of them, including this one. This was the last. Wow. This was the last lot. time I saw it. But um, th- four of those were in 2009. I saw a lot of shows in 2009, so um, I saw four that year. It was kind of following me around. To answer your question, I didn't mind seeing it because it usually came at the end of the first set, and you could, if you were sleuthy enough, you could know that it was coming because you would see Trey reach for the green guitar, the green Languedoc, which was in an alternate tuning for this, and. Uh, I remember, like, for example, like Red Rocks the summer beforehand, I saw him return for that guitar and I sprinted from probably row 40 or so at Red Rocks all the way down to the bathroom behind the stage, Mike's side, uh, it was Fish side at that point, peed and came running back up and, t- and got back to my spot in time for the ending jam. And it was, it was like, I was a wizard to all of my friends. It was like the most <laughs> incredible thing. And then I didn't yeah. have to wait in any lines at set break. So I liked it for that reason. The um, ending jam. I just let's throw out the ending jam was always fun. Oh yeah. yeah I like yeah, that for part. sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you had to get through, I remember people were like comparing it to Fluffhead at the time. It was like, you've got like, like it or not, you've got like 15 minutes of like weird proggy stuff to get through. And then this like killer section at the end. Um, I, when I listened to this show again the other day uh, in preparation for this episode, I hadn't listened to Time Turns Elastic in many years. And um, I liked it. I mean, I, I remember really digging the, the thing at the, at the time it was just i felt like it was a little overplayed and like it kind of sucked the energy out of the room at a lot of shows but as i was listening to this i kept thinking that like if you could take the best parts of time turns elastic and the best parts of petrichor and put them together you'd have like a really really amazing prog rock composition that would probably go over a little bit better live than either of them does um but I was I, to get back to something you said, RJ. I was very surprised that Time Turns Elastic was only played seventeen times because the way that people were complaining about it back then, you would have thought that they played it like you know fifty times in sixty shows or something. Um, but then also uh, Summer of eighty. I can't believe they've only played Summer of eighty nine four times. Like in my mind, that's something that they've played like five to ten times every year since then. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
I was walking into the venue as Alumni Blues started. We were running a little bit late. And I remember I was walking. If you've been to Camden in the pavilion, um, there's that like walkway between the 100 and 200 section. And we were walking in there and like... I remember hearing the first notes and just leaping in the air and we were skipping down this like pathway like, oh my God, they're playing alumni blues. And I looked around and it was like most people had no idea what it was and we were just like flabbergasted. Um, but the, to get that and then big black furry creature from Mars um, yeah. to open up that show, it was pretty crazy. The other thing I want to mention, Freeman in Paris, man, that, how what a well-performed cover that they just never played again. I mean, that really yeah. should have been part of the the repertoire from that point forward. I mean, sometimes they play a cover and they just don't really nail it on the first try. And you can tell that they're like a little bit shaken by that and they, they just like don't play it anymore. But this one, I thought it was really, really well executed. So I, I wonder A, why they played it to begin with and B, why they never played it again. It seemed like such a such an odd choice. I really liked it. I listened to that again today, and um, I, I don't. I would like to hear it again. And if you don't like Summer of '89, I mean, you probably don't have a wife or kids. So I'll just. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably true. Um, there is a an opener in the second set, Chalk Dust Torture. I think up to this point, this was the third longest version. Um, after a couple of 2003 versions. So this was like, I mean, this was a big deal. And, and I think we did probably listen to this a lot after this, even though I wasn't there. I'm sure you guys did too. But the second set is cool. There's, there's a lot going on here. No, no stops, all, all segues, um, really strong set. And it seems like the, the set of the tour up to this point. Yeah, the Chalk Dust Torture continues in the tradition of great uh, versions of that song at this venue. Um, before then, obviously, 99 and 2003, and since then, they've done it a couple more times. So it's just like one of those song venue combinations that always seems to work.
if you look at this set too, this is kind of like what I was talking about before. Like this Choctaw's Torture is great. The 2001 is obviously like very, very notable and amazing. The light is amazing. Um, but it's like you've got Chuck Dust Torture and then like Caspian Heavy Things Alaska. And then the 2001 and the light and then like Possum's good in Character Zero, but it's just kind of like all over the place. And I feel like if you could maybe rearrange this set a little bit, you could probably create a little bit better flow. I, I think the... Like, I'm not going to argue with you on Heavy Things Alaska. You could do what you want with them in the set. But I like the way Caspian follows this Chalk Dust. Chalk Dust ends, and then they start playing Caspian. It's not like a, a pure segue or anything like that. But the way the Chalk Dust, which is unfinished, you know, the way it lands, it feels right to play Caspian to me. But I'm not a Caspian hater. So all you Caspian haters, you can uh, text RJ about it. Um, <laughs> don't bother me. Don't yeah. at me, bro. Don't at, at me, RJ. Bro. Uh, I, uh, I I think it works um, quite a bit. Well, and yeah, should we just spend the next 10 minutes talking about this like extremely danceable 2001 with all the Michael Jackson stuff? And I think I we mean, should. I mean, I, I would say that the, the things that stuck out to me in this tour, and this is one of those jams, the 2001, is there's, a, there's some stuff in here that's like extremely funky in this is one of them and, and a jam we're going to talk about in a few minutes is as well and it's a there's there's not the sound the whale call sounds there's not the like tentativeness it's just like it's like kind of hard driving but but really fun and i think there's a lot of jams from this tour that fall into that category yeah, extremely fun. All the Michael Jackson stuff, uh, which in case you've forgotten, this was on the one year anniversary of Michael Jackson's death. So they tease one of you starting something and Thriller and Billy Jam on Billy Jean for a little while. I listened to this 2001 so much back in the day because it's, it's still one of my favorite versions of 2001. But also when I listen to it now, and I think this is kind of indicative of where they were at the time in terms of like confidence and getting their legs under themselves as a band. A lot of the Michael Jackson stuff actually sounds really tentative. Like when Trey's kind of half singing Billy Jean and like he's like backed up off the mic, like almost like he's maybe singing it to the band, but the audience can hear it. I feel like if this happened you know, last year, summer of 2019 or in the 90s or something, he would have gone for it. Even if he they didn't... They would have full-on played the song. He, well, Whether not, they blew it or not, but exactly. they would have been singing it, it and it would have, it would have been, yeah. And he would have been laughing the whole way through, right? It would have been, like, funny yeah. and great. And here he's kind of like, I think I kind of want to do this, but, like, not quite. And and so um, it's, it, it's interesting, you know, once again, something that at the time I went gaga over, like, now I listen to it and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's good and it's it's fun, but it sounds very, very hesitant all throughout. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. But it's but the 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 2001 the way it starts, it's just it's it's really like they're they're gonna do it and they're gonna have fun with it, which is really cool. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot. The Alaska, the second set, Alaska is like a whole. It's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> the, the the rooting of this tour is interesting because they go from like the Midwest up to Hershey and then up to Hartford, Saratoga, Great Woods, then down to Camden 
and then MPP and then back up to CMAC and then down to, <laughs> to North Carolina and then down to Georgia. So they're like, it, it, it doesn't look like a clean um, driving route. And I, I don't know if that matters at all to anyone, but I, I always find that interesting when it's like, it doesn't seem like going from Columbia, Maryland, all the way up to CMAC and back down to Raleigh is like a, is an interesting choice. Well, that, um, that's that's how you create the snoozy lose shows. But uh, I know there were people who were doing the whole thing. Um, I mean, I know people who walked out of the Greek and jumped into a car, drove straight to Colorado for Telluride. So, mm-hmm. um, and that's brutal. Evidently, I didn't do. Wasn't it. Wasn't there so. a race? It was that the one where there was somebody put together like a cannonball run style thing to drive from the Greek to Telluride. I, I, I'm not aware of I'm that, pretty, but it wouldn't I'm pretty shock sure. me. <laughs> I, uh, I, I remember there being a thread about people like, it was like the second that the Greek ends, it's like road race to see who can get to tell your ride first or something like that. That's, that's insane safe. and unsafe behavior. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, all right. So they, they, they go on to, to Meriwether, which I think a couple, a couple shows there and, and Matt, maybe, maybe the second show, um, well, definitely the second show is is much better. Is the second show? I know you you went to that. Is is that a is that a top show for you? It was a good show. So we're getting that in now to my pick uh, for the jam that I wanted to talk about uh, for the tour, which is the Ghost from this second night of Meriwether, um, which is great and it uh, it it jams into Jumpin' Jack Flash um, pretty seamlessly. This is kind of like what I'm talking about with versus like the Michael Jackson thing like they go for it they go for Jumpin' Jack Flash they don't know the chords exactly they don't completely know the lyrics but like they kind of go for it a little bit more um, still not the way that they would in like 1997 or something like that but they're like trying to make it happen a little bit more
uh, which kind of goes, Mike takes the lead on teasing vocally, like Saw It Again, which had been played earlier in the set, and it kind of gets into this really, really crazy space. This was one of those early 3.0, like Sunday, you know, never miss a Sunday show kind of things, because it kind of came out of nowhere, and I think was, um, along with that, that second night of Camden, this was a great four-night run between Camden and Merriweather. I, I do think that the earlier in the set, the meat stick has a cool outro jam into the first saw it again. And mm. the, like there, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here. And I know that happened, you know, there's obviously precedent for this in 1.0 and 2.0 to go kind of back to songs that were played earlier. But Merriweather is like, is so such a place where this happens. Um, and th- this was the first one of those. It's an interesting set and really a good show. Yeah, this was also maybe the hottest show I was ever at that weekend. It was like, I think it was over 100 degrees both days. Um, I didn't go to Saturday, like I said earlier, but Sunday, I remember I remember standing in the lot and it, we like wound up just sitting in our car for a while in the air conditioning because it was just so unbearably hot. I remember Saturday was pretty hot um, and I remember getting into the pavilion and being in a in a in a seat to the side under one of those giant fans they had Ooh, in there, yeah. and uh, and I was glad for that, um, and uh, and I enjoyed I enjoyed that show, and I went home and did not stay for uh, Sunday night, and I'm still okay with it, <laughs> actually. So so that that was a really good show, and then they go up to the CMAC Performing Arts Center and Tuesday night show. I gotta say, it's it it's uh if you if you made the special trip, it was an okay show. It might have been a break from the heat. I think that's what we can say. Um, and then <laughs> they go for a couple more shows before the kind of break, um, the month long break that we referred to very very long ago at the beginning of this episode. Um, they play one night <laughs> one night in Charlotte, and then two nights in uh in Atlanta. And I thought I think these Atlanta shows were really pretty, pretty good. And I want to talk about the seven, three tweezer, which is, um, second set rock and roll Prince Caspian into tweezer and into slave. I just think that's whole segment is really, really beautiful. You're not wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) thank you, Jonathan. Yeah. I'm going to stand up for Caspian again, because I think you should take that Caspian with your tweezer in this case, because it, it, it goes nicely into it. It gets in a very chill and a sort of an atypical fashion for, for, uh, Caspian, uh, and then, and then launches into the tweezer, um, which is a really high energy, rockin' tweezer, I think. Uh, I didn't feel like there was a lot of modulation, but it was fairly hot. Uh, rock energy, and that's spelled R-A-W-K uh, <laughs> throughout the whole thing before they descend down into Slave. I, it was, it's good. I, I enjoyed it. I rocked that again today and, uh, and played guitar along with it, which is really embarrassing if anybody else were to hear that, but it's a lot of fun.
Yeah, the peak kind of kind of comes out of nowhere. Like it's it's yeah. it's plodding along as a typical 2010 jam, like just trying to find itself, trying to make some progress. It doesn't really deviate much or anything, and then like all of a sudden, it's like, oh wow, they're uh, they're having some fun up there, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, I like the way it starts, like out of the Caspian Jam. It's really funky, and then yeah, that that peak kind of it just it's a, and it's a really cool transition into Slave as well. So I thought this was a, a cool highlight, and probably a show that that is more well known than some of the shows we've talked about. But this seven three seven four, I was curious about this seven four because I actually thought this was maybe the first. I mean, it was definitely the. The, it was only the third July 4th show they've ever played. Because if you remember, like, previous tours, they would always not play on July 4th. Even in the 90s, they'd play the third, the fifth. They would, like, take the day off to, to pay to pay honor to the United States of America. But then <laughs> in, later on, they started realizing that it's actually a really good night to have a concert. <laughs> and the, the July 4th shows are always... It's cool. It's cool to have the fireworks. It's cool to have Star Spangled Banner. So I feel like both of those... Both of those shows were really good and fun to listen back to. And then they're like hitting this stride and then it's like, we're off for a month. All right. Time to go home, sit by the pool, play some tennis. Definitely playing tennis. Paige is eat, definitely playing tennis. Eat some tennis. sandwiches. <laughs> um, you know, but, things, you, but things people do, right? They they pick it back up though a month later. So, so what happens here? Because I, I actually moved from Boston to D.C. in the middle of those two tours, which is why I missed... Merriweather, but they they hit the West Coast, and I guess they all go home for a month and and come back and they play three shows at the Greek, two shows at Telluride, then come back to the Midwest to play Deer Creek, Alpine, and then end at Jones Beach. So they basically cover the country a couple times here. I mean, at least the Northeast. They're like, if you map this out, it's a it's a crazy crazy route, but. They come back to the Greek, and and these shows are are very well known um, because they're. They're really awesome. And one of them was, we just saw a dinner in a movie recently, but it seems like they picked right back up where they left off. So maybe my saying that they took a month off and, and might, might've lost some uh, momentum is not quite accurate. I, I think that's fair, especially when you consider the fact that the Greek shows were um, undeniably way better than the Telluride shows, uh, which followed right, right afterwards. Um, there was a lot of really good stuff in those Greek shows, um, and including Trey having his new guitar, which he played for you know several years after that, the Asadok. I blame the oxygen and lack thereof for Telluride. I, there's no <laughs> other. There's no other excuse because it was beautiful, um, and I, I had a lot of friends who went, and they were just like you, Matt. They were like, "Well, eh, it was all right, but I was in Telluride, and that was great." So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what the the whole the, the whole adventure was amazing. Um, and this was after like this was before Dix had ever started. Dix starts the year after this, and Colorado. I feel like Dix. I felt at the time like Dix was a response to the fact that like 2009 they played Red Rocks, which was like an impossible ticket, and then the next year they played Telluride, which was also like an impossible ticket. Um, and then, so I, I think feel like afterwards it was like, okay, obviously people want to see us in Colorado, so like let's just play in a big soccer stadium so that we can accommodate most people. And now Dix is always a hard ticket, so yeah. can't win. Actually, speaking of which, it's funny, RJ, that you mentioned that like the crisscrossing around the country because after this year, they didn't really do much of that 
if you remember 2009 tickets were like impossible to get 2010 people kept buying and hoarding tickets thinking that the momentum from 2009 was going to go and then you'd go to a lot of these not greek not telluride shows at meriwether or alpine valley or whatever and there was just tickets on the ground everywhere like you could have gotten probably free pavilion tickets to like pretty much any show that you went to and, and that continued for a little while i mean yeah when we watching a uh, a Hampton show on dinner and a movie not too long ago, and people were posting on Twitter pictures of the ticket tree outside, the ticket tree Sunday night. and that yeah. was 2013. So yeah, um, yeah, the bubble burst a little bit, which I think was good because people people were able to see the shows. Yeah, so. yep. I just I want to. Can we quickly just before we go to Deer Creek? Can we just hear Matt just a quick kind of like any high level memory you have from Telluride in terms of the the scene what it was like to see a fish two fish shows like in Telluride it was amazing um have you guys been to Telluride before no I mean it's one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my entire life um but you have to work to get there like it's you know we flew into Denver and then it's like a seven hour drive from Denver to get out there we broke up the trip by camping one night about halfway through um we camped at 10,000 feet so that we could kind of get our um get acclimated to the altitude which was really awesome because the number of people that I saw drop in Telluride because of the altitude was like insane um but uh yeah I mean it was fun we had we had a lot of friends there we had a lot of fun we went on hikes we you know you could take the gondola up and there was late night shows like Carl Denson was playing late night and we were camping right in the town square and people had condos and it was just like such a great time and it was so beautiful so what i remember musically was the first the second night started about half an hour after the first night did um because there were like when you looked uh west down back into the town from town park in telluride there's this view where like these two mountains kind of come together in a v and then the sky opens up and there was this amazing sunset that happened there the first night they timed it perfectly by starting a half hour later the second night so that literally as the sun was like dropping behind um the horizon and lighting the entire sky up pink they started the show with the squirming coil of sunset and it was everybody was just like <gasps> it was it was pretty amazing so that was like a really really cool memory um and the shortest tweezer i've ever seen the first night um but it was fun <laughs> i mean we had, we had a lot of good times lots of good memories <laughs> uh, yeah well, i want to get you a shirt that says i went to tell you right and all i got was the shortest tweezer the I've ever shortest seen. tweezer ever you could actually maybe write it on that shirt that you're wearing now. <laughs> so, Brad, um, you've picked out a jam for us that that I, I really love, and uh, I want you to you should tell us what it is and tell us why you picked it. Yeah, it's a little weird. I mean, I, I wasn't at the show. Um, it's uh, maybe a few days after the Greek, and it's in uh, Noblesville. You know, I've seen them at Deer Creek, um, and it's not on the jam chart. I wanted to. Uh, just kind of highlighted a little bit this the second set opener um, from 812 was drowned into you know what live fish labels as as a noblesville jam um, but dot net just you know drowned into gotta jabu anyway the, the drown is what I want to highlight I thought that jam was really cool I thought it the, it's a precursor to the 12 2012 undermine from dicks I think uh, it's got a little bit of that um, uh, mic driven stuff and and 
I also wanted to highlight just Mike's plane. I thought he really stuck out in in the summer. Um, again, I, I mentioned Ocelot. I thought he dominated those. Um, and, and with Trey kind of stepping back and, and adding layers and effects, um, it really let Mike shine. And I thought he did in this, this jam as well. So, um, and gotta love Deer Creek. I got to agree with this pick because it's outstanding. Uh, actually, I went back and listened to it and I was like, oh, yeah, drowned second set opener. Uh, and it comes out, Trey comes out on fire and it starts out yeah. as a, just a pretty ripping drowned. But then they, the jam just gets like, uh, it, it gets deep. Like it gets deep. And actually, it's they're pretty much definitely playing waiting all night in that thing if you ask me i'm not i'm not joking I, that's, that's not awesome. hyperbably yeah. i swear you go back and listen to it Tra- mike's playing the bass line they're basically playing waiting all night maybe this don't is where joke that came about from. that shit that's, don't joke this about is serious that. because i love that song and it didn't debut for a couple of years so yeah. it's but for real um and also really worth noting at that show is the insane encore um Fee into nitrous oxide into Kung into yeah. that whole fire. second set. I thought I think that whole second set's great. Yeah. Uh, there's some weird placement like you like we've mentioned, um, but it's it's full of great tunes. Um, I think Buffalo Bill is even in the second set, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I mean that's it's it's crazy. And the the horse with the silent in the morning, all that stuff. The the, the melt's great, um, but yeah, as you pointed out, the fee encore with the with the megaphone first time since awesome the 90s stuff. yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you're absolutely right jonathan that's where waiting all night came from it's that, great that jam well yeah. brad for those who don't know what brad was talking about he called it deer creek this um it's the verizon wireless music center previously known <laughs> as as the Klipsch uh music center uh, maybe this could sleep be a, train this, yeah. this would be a good um this would be a good dinner and a movie show yeah okay sure you know I just Why think it would be, it, it's a, it's a fun show, and you should tweet angrily at fish. They'll probably do it if you do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say tweet politely, and you'll get the uh, same no. response. <laughs> you have further thoughts on the Deer Creek show yourself, there, RJ? I just think the the second night is also just really good. they were they were starting to really like get things going and there's not like if you look at fishnet there's not a ton in the jam charts from the second night but i i enjoyed the 
I enjoyed listening to it. And I think there's like the Haley's into light into 46 days into maze. I just think they were like hitting a stride at this point, which I think is, is, is always fun. That's all. I like when they hit a stride, you know? Cool. Yeah. Striding is good. Beats standing still. Right. (laughs) And then in Alpine, they go to Alpine next and play, um, only the second what's the use of of the 3.0 era up to that up to that point which i think is notable because i think that's a just beautiful use of of time and and space but those shows also very good um i don't go back to these shows but but i but i will more now that i that i've listened back to them yeah i i kind of breeze through them but i'll say that transition that from down with disease into what's the use on that i was at the first were there two yeah the first night of alpine valley is really nice I feel like this whole summer is known for the Greek shows and that's it. But I, I feel like this Alpine, the, the Alpine and Deer Creek shows are, are definitely worth revisiting. Matt, do you, do you, will you revisit these? I haven't in a while. And this is one of the things I totally forgot about was that the Alpine shows came out as a DVD, uh, yep. which I own. And I watched a whole bunch back in the day. Uh, but I, I can't tell you when the last time I saw them because I haven't had a working DVD player for probably seven or eight years. <laughs> I forgot wow. about the Alpine Valley DVD. So I, for, I forgot about DVDs. Yeah, DVDs. Yeah. Those were like the laser discs, right? They're very big. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, like they're that. they're small laser discs. Oh, I forgot too. I, <laughs> I, I lost I lost everything. Everything's on the computer now, as far as it's I know. Betamax. <laughs> so the I, the second night of Alpine is is really cool. There's like a, I mean, they're just they were playing around. I think a lot with the the set list, but also just like there's. I don't know. There's a little bit less of the shtick of the first um, half of the tour and a little bit more like focusing on these kind of deep second sets and kind of dark second sets. There's a lot of Mike songs. There's a lot of like, there's a lot of weird stuff that comes out of these second sets, which, which I think is um, always fun. And Jonathan, they end this tour with two nights in Jones beach. Yeah. And I got to tell you, I, um, there's this, the the first night has an interesting second set. I think the first set's probably good, but I, I got to admit, I didn't listen to it. But the second set, you know, opens with Lengthwise Maze, uh, Haley's Comet, Mike's Song, Simple. I mean, this is all, you know, speaking my language, right? This is kind of old-fashioned sounding fish. Uh, but it's the backwards down the number line into Caspian again, I keep bringing this song up because they played it a lot around all the good jams. Uh, but this number line has a great, great jam on it that I think it's easy to overlook because I don't think I, well, I mean, it's 2010 when we, I overlooked that whole summer. Um, but it gets into that soaring kind of thing that I was talking about before. The uh, the whale or whammy is, I think it's there, but it's it's way more controlled than like than the uh, than you hear it in the first leg of the tour. And this thing, I mean, it just it it's it hits me right in the feels. It's not the same as like a 2018 Bliss Peak Jam musically. It's just it's played very differently, but it's it it touches in kind of the same zone. I think this is a good example of, (laughs) I think that I will use this to make my point better from what I said at the very beginning, which is the lack of new material in 2010 was sort of potentially a little bit of a, of 
a downside of this year because in 2009 I was at this the spec show where the this backwards down the number line 20 minutes long in the second set that was just dark it was crazy it was weird and then it got awesome again and this one and the and the uh, blossom one from this tour were all were both really good and then like as they started in, introducing new tunes in 3.0 backwards down the number line was not a jam vehicle anymore there were like there's like a year or two maybe that there it was like it was a jam vehicle and then it became not a jam vehicle but this this version that you pointed out i think is is really is really awesome thank you uh, yeah i mean i love the song uh, i first saw trey classic tab do it in i think it was richmond right after they had announced that fish would come back and you know it, it's always always been a song that i love but when they do things like this with it it's Hell yes, way better. I um I was surprised by this version. You I saw you put it backwards down the number line on this list, and I was like, is he trolling us? Is this just gonna? What is this gonna be? But there's been a handful, especially early on. There was like the Chicago 2009 version, and this one, and a couple others that like. The the thing about this is Mike um, Mike kind of holds on uh, to a, uh, a chord early in the jam and prevents it from kind of going through its normal motions, um, and it kind of goes off in a nice direction and. Um, very too, you know similar to a lot of jams this summer but for a backwards down the number line jam it's uh it's it's definitely a departure and it was it was fun to listen to so so this uh, sorry go ahead Jonathan no i i was going to thank matt for affirming my selection <laughs> <laughs> so so guys so the they they wrap up this tour in um in Jones Beach uh, the the second night and then they it's interesting because i think the 1231 2010 is like the you know that that's kind of the the first new year's eve where it's like really kind of amazing there's there's great versions of songs that kind of be, are still 
we still go back to. So I wonder if like this period that we've looked back on actually is laying the groundwork for some of the stuff that becomes, you know, the building blocks of, of 3.0, which is like, you know, 2011, 2012. And it kind of just keeps going up from there. But I don't know, after listening back to a bunch of shows, what do you guys think about this tour? Do you, do you feel differently than when we went into this <laughs> project a month, a month or so ago? There's obviously a reason why, like, like at the time in 2010, people weren't, for the most part, there's always jaded vets who poo-poo everything, but people weren't, like, shitting on these shows. Um, it wasn't like, hey, we're in the middle of this tour that people are, that we all don't like. Um, people were having a lot of fun. I think that a lot, a big part of that was because of the covers that they were playing. Um, the question that I'm left with, and I would love to get your take on this, and I kind of hinted at it earlier, is like, strip away the excitement of 2009 and if you were to compare 2009 10 and 11 could you make a distinction between those years is one better than the other you may find that 2010 actually is a better year than 2009 but it just doesn't have the hype factor there so people were a little bit less enthusiastic i don't know do you guys have thoughts on that i think i liked 2010 more when it was 2010 um but i i think that have having quite a bit of distance, not just the fact that it's 10 years ago, but the fact that I haven't really got, gotten into these recordings in quite some time, I, I think that the high points are a lot higher than I recall um, because I, I very quickly did become more jaded than, I mean, I, I after 2011, uh, Meriwether actually took almost two years off. So, more than two years off, uh, so yeah, I think there's um, there's 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 gems here. I think we've actually uncovered a good bit of them, and I hope that it inspires some people to go back and check out some of the good stuff, and not just just as I would have, not just uh, out of hand, to kind of dismiss the year, uh, this tour altogether. Yeah, I agree. I mean, to me, I see like every year is better than than the last year. And I think maybe that was reinforced by by doing this because 2009 was just a lot of fun and a lot of celebration. But, you know, I mentioned that Becker's done the number line from spec 2009. And then there was the fall, fall Albany show, you know, the seven below ghosts like there were there were moments in 2009 when you were like, OK, this is like fish you know but i feel like yeah. some of the things we've talked about tonight and and hopefully some of the stuff people will go back to and be turned on to from this playlist um <laughs> will make people think a little bit differently about it i don't know i 2011 is still a little bit of a mystery to me it's not a, it's not a year that i go to a lot and 2012 has like this storied history you know so 2011 is still a little bit of a mystery to me well we should get into that next year I think we should. The other, the other thing I'm thinking <laughs> about, you know, in terms of this, we're just talking about summer 2010 and right. take fast forward a couple of months. Um, the fall tour was generally lauded by most fans at that point to be the high point at that point of 3.0. So I think it's also easy to look back and say, oh, well, let's look at the year in general. But this summer in particular was kind of quickly brushed aside um, because there were a bunch of great shows on the, the fall tour, you know, Utica and Atlantic City and some of those some of those shows. So um, that that's another thing to consider that like this tour very, very quickly kind of, you know, became a, a redheaded step child, if you will. Well, I think we're going to 
make people go back and listen to even more 2010 and we're going to we're going to keep uncovering beautiful beautiful gems um, for you all one thing we should tell you is to continue wearing your mask because it's helpful for public health and america and the world and if you you want music live music to come back without having to sit (laughs) in your car at a concert or you know if you want to be able to like go to a concert and like hug hug somebody you haven't seen in a long time Wear your mask. Though you may think that you're doing the right thing and you're we're being preachy or anything like that, there's a lot of places where people are not doing the right thing and they need to wise up. And if they need to wise up, they should be going to Section 119 and buying some awesome masks. Which, by the way, go over your nose. Yes, not completely over the nose. nose. Completely over, your nose. over the nose. I, don't, I can't add anything to that. Go to section119.com. Use the promo code HFPOD for 20% off your first order. And... Before we wrap up, I want to tell you that our friends at Jambase have just launched a brand new video archive, and I did an interview with their CEO, Dave, a couple of days ago on the drop, and I've been poking around on this thing, and if you guys want to like get lost in live music videos that are way more searchable than anything that, that I've seen before, you should go to jambase.com slash videos. Have you guys checked that out at all? I have. It's like crazy. I was like, let me see what kind of nonsense I can throw at it. And I was finding stuff that I didn't, I didn't even know existed. So, um, yeah, it's very cool. And I, I intend to spend more time with it. Yeah. Thank you, Jambase, for giving me, uh, another excuse to stay, uh, up into the wee hours of the morning every night. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to go watch four Radiohead concerts. Um, thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. I hope we did this tour some justice. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And thanks, Brad, Jonathan, Matt. It's been fun. Been yeah. Good times. And we will see you all soon. Keep on rocking. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!